Father in heaven, we ask for your Holy Spirit now because we're going to be reading from your word. And the same spirit that inspired these words is able to be with us here today and help us to understand. Lord, help us to believe it, not because I said it, but because it says this in your word and your spirit convicts our hearts that these things are true. Also enable us to understand today, because if we can understand this, we can have hope. So please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Four things I'm reminding you about from now until uh, Thanksgiving, about all of us being all in. Number one, and this is very important, that you would spend time every day reading your Bible. It's very important that you do this. Not because of what you will get that one day, but because of what you will get after a month. It, the Lord is able, it opens the door, and he's able to speak to you with his spirit. So I encourage you, make sure that's a part of your day. I recommend the morning because the rest of the day gets away. So put it in there, make it part of your plan. Number two, regular attendance. Uh, we need you here in order to build this community and to be the people we want to be. The people that we love, we need to be here. So encouraging you to be a part of that. Plus, you keep up on what we're talking about because this is a series that builds. Number three, participation in the small groups. Now, it, now this week in particular was a very important week for you to have been a part of that because I don't have time in this message to go in detail over what you were able to go into detail in in your groups. And, and I'll mention that when we get to that time. And then number four is that we all continue in our faithfulness in giving to our church budget and to our tithes and, our, and as I mentioned before, our pledges to our building fund. Uh, God has blessed us with abundantly more than we need. And all we need to do is find that generosity that the Spirit has put in our hearts and all of our needs will be easily taken care of. So, so keep those in mind. Now we turn to our text, and this is our key text that we're building this whole series off of, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So we spent the last three weeks talking about how it all begins with faith, and it begins with the faith in a, in a core confession. The confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the question, Jesus' question, who do you say I am? If you can give this answer, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and believe it in your heart, that makes you a Christian. There's no other question that makes you a Christian or not. All of the other things, they're, they're fine, they're good, but the core question that makes you a Christian or not is what do you believe about Jesus? And then we talked about how that statement of faith in itself, the Son of God, raises another question, who is God? And the fundamental Bible identity of God is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the identity of Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The identity of God is the creator of all things. And then last Sabbath we talked about how without faith it's impossible to please God because we must believe he exists Scripture says, which means to believe in his identity statements that the Christ, the Son of God, and the Creator, that's what it means to believe he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. And we talked about that it is by faith that we understand and believe these things. 
So this is the foundation we've laid. And now we're going to turn to hope and to some very provocative words that Paul has written. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time reading the words of Paul today because I want you to hear Paul's argument. I want you to hear what he's telling us. And, and I believe God's Spirit can enable us to understand these things. So, so let's listen to these words. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's some big ideas here. There's the idea of faith, and there's this idea of justified, and there's this issue of peace with God. And in order to really understand what this is saying to us, we need to have some clue about what those things are. But there's something here that can be a clue to us in desire, when we desire to understand a text like this. It starts with a very important word. The first word of this verse is, therefore. Now, you know, in any kind of conversation you're having, when someone says, therefore, and then they state some conclusion, there's been some sort of discussion or argument before that, right? You don't just say, therefore, out of the blue. Well, that's the case here. And the discussion that comes before this therefore, in this case, is very important to us understanding what Paul wants to tell us in Romans chapter 5. So we're going to take some time today, and we're going to go back to chapter 4, and we're going to see what Paul is saying therefore too. So let's do that. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So now in our language, we have, we have the word faith and we have the word believe, and we use them in different ways, and we usually use faith as a noun or, or maybe an adjective, but we'll use believe in more of a verb form. Well, in, in the Greek words, there's not that difference in those words. The, the root word for believe and faith is the same one. So we could almost read it, Abraham faithed God, if we could make a verb out of that word. So you see the connection there that we're talking about faith here. And, and we've made that point. It all begins with faith. Abraham believed God. So verse 4, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Now, most of you here uh, go to work and have jobs. You do your work and then they pay you for that work, right? You don't go in and volunteer and then they gift you with a salary at the end of the week, right? No, you're doing a job that they've asked you to do and they pay you for it. That's the wages concept. That's the work wages idea. And Paul is saying, I'm talking about something different than that. Verse five, however, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's not their work that's credited as righteousness. It's faith credited as righteousness. Now, this is a huge point. This is one of the most important points of all the Bible. We're not going to spend a long time on it, but, but to make sure you get it, this is, this is what it's saying. Sinners who trust in God's provision through Jesus Christ 
are credited as if they have not done wrong. That's what it means. Sinners who trust in God's provision through Jesus Christ are credited as though they did not do wrong. Verse 6, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, what follows in this chapter in the next few verses is a discussion about ceremonial law and, and circumcision and uncircumcision, and that's a, there's a value to that, but it's not what we need for what we're doing today. So we're going to skip to verse 13, and we find these words. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. It all begins with faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Now, some of you may be literal descendants of Abraham. And if you are, to you I say, most impressive congratulations. But most of us aren't. Yet God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. What this scripture is saying to us is that those who believe by faith are as much his children as the ones descended from him. And in fact, because it is a nation based in faith, some who are not related to him but yet believe by faith are more his children than his direct descendants are his children. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Now, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about God as creator, I told you that it is the consistent witness throughout the Bible that God is the creator, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here Paul is referencing God. And he's referencing God in the context of God's core identity. Do you see it here? This is another example of how, where God as creator is woven into the very fabric of the Bible. And the reason we can never take that out because the whole witness falls apart. So here it is. He says, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's creation language. So Paul is making this argument that by faith in this creator God, we become children of Abraham. And he's going to wrap this argument up, and it's going to lead to the therefore in chapter 5 that we started with. But here we go, verse 18, against all hope, okay, so we've heard faith so far, now we found hope in this passage. 
Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. The point of what Paul is saying here is there was no chance they were going to have kids without some sort of intervention. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Did you hear that line? That's an important line for us. Being fully persuaded, that's another way of saying having faith, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, you know the story of Abraham, and you know how difficult it was for him and Sarah to believe the promise of God and the unfortunate steps that they took to try to help God with his plan. Have you ever taken steps to try to help God with his plan for your life? How well did that go? Okay, way better to believe God and trust his promise than to try to get ahead of him and help him bring about what he has said he will bring about. One of the points in this for us, for Abraham to still be praised as having been faithful and trusting God makes the point of grace, doesn't it? Because even in his faith, he faltered sometimes. Yet still he somehow clung to the promise and believed what God has promised. Now this then puts before us the obvious question, right? Do you believe what God has promised? Now this is a little foreshadowing here because if you can believe what God has promised, even if it looks impossible, that's the prerequisite to hope. Because hope is not the product of me thinking everything's going to work out great, everything looks like it's going to work out great. No, it's the product of me being able to believe that God will deliver on His promises. That's the seedbed of hope. Verse 23, the words that was credited to Him were not written were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Paul is wrapping up his argument here. He's, he's talked about Abraham and how Abraham by faith believed the promises of God and how God delivered on the promises and how he delivered through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So this is the point that Paul has made. It's a point about faith and it's a point about the role of Jesus to bring us into to be heirs, to receive the promise to Abraham. That's where we get to chapter 5, verse 1, and that's where we started. So let's go back. We're ready for it now. It says, therefore, because of all this stuff, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have gained access by what? Faith, there it is again, into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the what? Hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if you participated in a group this week, you got to spend an extended period of time on those five verses alone and particularly wrestling through this road to hope that Paul spells out. Now, this road to hope is a road we don't often choose, right? Or we don't want to choose because the first step on the road to hope is suffering. That's tough, isn't it? The first step on the road to hope is suffering. And and Paul says that's because suffering produces perseverance. Now, this perseverance word, you you probably know where I'm going with this because this is a Greek word that keeps popping up for us everywhere we go. You remember what that word is? It's hupomone. We've seen this word lots of places. It means patient endurance. And I think the only thing I can tell you based on this word and how often we find it in Scripture is that if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to suffer and it's going to teach you to persevere. But that's not wasted. The truth is it's good for you because perseverance produces character. And when you have character, according to Paul, you have hope. But now this hope, this is even a little different for us too because we've talked about at different times how you can't just take one word from one language and and lay it on top of another. It doesn't work perfectly because we use the hope, we use the word hope in a couple ways. I can say things like, uh, I hope that uh, I'm going to make it home in time for Monday Night Football or whatever it is. You know what it is, right? But that's tough because we have board meetings sometimes and, and, and it, I hope, but I don't think I'm going to make it or, or whatever it is. We hope, but when we say that word, we mean, ah, it's iffy. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. See, that's not the perfect word to define what the Bible means when it says this. There's another, another Greek word. It's elpis. That's what that word for hope is. And it's a confident hope. It's a for sure hope. So that would be like me saying, I have hope that I'm going to get a good lunch. And I'm confident in that because Alicia's a great cook. See? You see the difference in that? It's a confident hope not a wishing hope. So this hope that we gain is a hope of confidence. And a hope like that never puts us to shame. And it doesn't disappoint us because what we're hoping in, we're hoping in the promises of God and they never prove to be false. They're always true. That's why we have a confident hope. So so what enabled us to be confident in our hope? Well, Paul goes on, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That's hope. And here's the result of what Jesus did. Romans 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now I want you to catch that line there. He's saying that Jesus died for us so that the righteous requirements of the law would be met in us. This is the same concept as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See how these are the same ideas? When we put our faith in Jesus, when at our deepest core is the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he came to save us, he lived, he died, he rose again. When that is the core of our faith, then we receive forgiveness of our sins, we get credited a record of righteousness as though we had done no wrong, and we're given a new life through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have hope. Paul adds to the point, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now you've got to understand what, what Paul is referring to, and you've got to know a little history of Israel here to know this. So back when Moses was with the children of Israel in the wilderness, he would go up on the mountain and he would talk directly with God. And the glory of God would come upon Moses in such a powerful way that his face would shine with the, with the reflected glory of God. And he would come down from the mountain to talk to the children of Israel and they were afraid of him because the glory of God was reflected in his face. And so he took to wearing a veil so that he did not frighten the people because they were afraid of the direct presence of God, even in a reflected way. So this is the veil he's talking about. But then he goes figurative with this idea. He says, a veil remains to this day when the Old Covenant is read. He's talking about the Old Testament here. And he's talking about those who would read the Old Testament outside of the context of Christ. And this is the reason I say the Christian faith begins with a faith in Jesus because it's only through Jesus that the entire Old Testament can be rightly understood. But for those who are not looking through Jesus, it is as though they are veiled from what the Bible is trying to tell them. That's why it says a veil remains. Now there's a parallel here. 
There's an interesting parallel to verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13. That's our, that's our key chapter, the, the love chapter. Verse 12 is the one right before the one we've been using. Here's what it says, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face like Moses. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So here's the promise. The promise is that a day of clarity is coming for all of us. Now the ultimate day of clarity, of course, is the glorious appearing of the Lord. But there is an increasing opportunity and a growing clarity when we live by the Spirit and we're focused on Jesus we begin to see clearer and clearer and clearer every day. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is our opportunity to have now some portion of Moses' experience when he went up and spoke face to face with the Lord. And that glory of the Lord will come upon us in the same way it came upon him, and it will change us. Unveiled contemplation of the Lord's glory, transformation of our lives into His image with ever-increasing glory. This is what faith in Jesus will do for your life. This is hope. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's see if we can gather this together and, and give you something you can take home. So here it is. Sin is a miserable condition. Now, sins themselves may seem fun, and, and, and you're inclined, you want to do that, or you even feel driven to it, but when you are trapped in sin, Sin is a miserable condition, and to live in sin is to live in despair. We talked about this from a practical standpoint a few years ago when we did our series on the Ten Commandments, and, and we, we used this line. We would say it again and again. We said, God didn't give us the ten to save us from hell when we die. He gave us the ten to save us from living in hell until we die. Because that's what your life becomes when you live contrary to the law of God. Not because God makes it ugly, but because you are an ugly person when you live contrary to God's law. And ugliness finds you. But that's just the practical side of it. That's just the outside of it. There's something even deeper. And it's referenced in this, this verse, Romans 5, verse 1. He says, we have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Isaiah 57, verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, 
whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You look around, around us in the world today. Do you see mostly people living at peace and in contentment? Or does it seem more like the waves tossed to and fro and people living in despair and people living in, in sadness and sorrow? They're not at peace. And the reason is because sin is a hopeless, miserable place because everyone living in sin is at war with their Creator and at odds with their Savior. But it doesn't have to be hopeless. God wants to make peace with you. Even though He and you know you're a sinner. He doesn't want to make peace with you because you don't look like a sinner. He wants to make peace with you because you are. There is for you and for me more than just wishful thinking because in Jesus we have hope. Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you want peace with God? Do you need soul healing? Here is your hope. Isaiah 57, verse 18. I have seen their ways. Okay, no surprises. God knows, okay? He knows the whole thing. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. That's what God says. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace. Peace to those far and near, says the Lord. And I will heal them. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the promise to everyone who believes with all their heart. So listen carefully to these words. This isn't just wishful thinking. Are you miserable in the place you find yourself living today? There is hope for you in Jesus. Can you hear hope calling your heart today? Hope calls to the heart of me. Holding out his arms to me. I knew he was mine when I 
first believed with all my heart with all my heart I'd love to love him with all my heart I thought I could with all my strength I did not hold him but hope calls to the heart of me holding out his arms to me I know he is mine but I must believe with all my heart and so first loved me in times like these when I am broken his hope calls to the heart of me holding out his arms to me I know he is mine but I will believe with all my Let's pray. Father in heaven, we hear your hope calling to our hearts. Lord, in this day, if any of us here are miserable and at war with you, help us today put our faith in Jesus, to trust Him, to open ourselves to this hope, to believe, to receive Your Holy Spirit. Lord, pour over us now with Your Spirit. Move in this place in a way that will give us a hope. Strengthen our faith. Bless us and keep us. Make your face shine on us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance on us. And may we be at peace with you. Amen. Amen.